Thank you. <clears throat> oh, great. Good morning. Good to be here, huh? All right. I feel the same way. Hey, let's uh, start with a word of prayer, and then we'll go into our time of teaching. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing in our lives and what you're doing here at Rocky Peak. God, both individually uh, in our lives and as a corporate body, as a group, as a community. We pray that today would be one more step in this journey that we've started together, uh, the journey to uh, the places you're taking us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, today we're continuing the series that we've been in quite a while now, 11 Laws to Live By. And every week I just kind of quickly step back and set the stage for those of you who may be new. By the way, if you're new, I want to welcome you. Glad you're here. And uh, we, uh, when I talk about 11 Laws to Live By, we're not talking about laws like laws of the land. You know, the sort of law you break, you get in trouble, like, like a felony or a misdemeanor. Or, um, for example, like uh, rolling through a stop sign, um, like say like on Thursday night, um, <laughs> say like maybe like 11 o'clock at night at the bottom of Santa Susana, um, and uh, <clears throat> well, <laughs> so where do you work? <laughs> um, well, a church at Rocky Peak, uh, so what do you do there? <laughs> uh, I'm the senior pastor. Uh, you're working a little late, aren't you? We got an elder retreat tomorrow. Um, so I'm not talking about that kind of laws, fortunately, <laughs> because um, I would have no credibility. Uh, he was such a nice guy. He did not give me a ticket, so I'm just very thankful for that. Yeah, that's right. Way to go, Simi Valley Police Department. <laughs> that's right. So I told him he could have whatever seat he wanted from that point on. Um, no, I, I didn't really, but... Uh, anyway, very nice guys. So, uh, but anyway, we're not talking about laws in that sense, kind of laws you break in trouble. We're really talking about more like, it'd be, it'd be comparable to like the laws of nature. And the laws of nature, uh, they just tell you how life works in the physical realm. So what goes up comes down for every action. There's an equal and opposite reaction. Uh, here's the way the tides work with the moon. The earth revolves, I mean, the, uh, yeah, earth revolves around the sun. How does that work? Um, and so um, it just tells you how life works in the physical realm. Well, in, the, in the, these 11 laws, we're talking about how life works in the spiritual realm, in our relationship with God, our relationship with one another. And so every week we're taking one of these laws, they flow out of God's word and talking about what does it mean for us, both individually but us as a church as we enter into this new era together. Today we come into law number eight. It's the law of service. If you haven't done so already, inside of your bulletin is a white note sheet. You'll, be, you'll wanna pull, you know, pull that out because it'll help you to follow along throughout the message. But uh, law number eight, here's how it goes. Service is the path to greatness. Now, this is sort of counterintuitive, to be honest. I mean, most of us don't really think of service as the path to greatness. You know, if you saw, you were pulled up to a hotel and you saw uh, some kind of uh, very famous CEO getting out of a limousine and the bellboy there uh, opening his door, you'd say, which one's the great guy? Well, you'd say the guy, you know, getting out of the limo, not the guy opening the door and serving. And yet, um, Jesus said that service really is the path to greatness, kind of counterintuitive, and he taught this over and over in his ministry. Um, for example, one particular time, Matthew 20, he is with his disciples and two of his closest disciples, Peter, I mean, James and John, they were of the inner three, you know, Peter, James, and John. So two of the disciples approach him with their mother and their mother actually comes to Jesus and said, I have a request for you. I know that you're about to come into your kingdom. Things are gonna be awesome. Um, how about if my two sons would be like the vice presidents, you know? They could be like on your right and on your left. Well, the other disciples, when they hear this, they get really ticked off, you know, probably because they didn't think about having their mom come first. And, and so they're like, bummer, you know, like we didn't think about this and we were gonna make our play later. And so Jesus takes this opportunity to talk to them about greatness. And the very interesting thing is, and we'll talk about this more later, is that he does not tell them not to seek greatness. In fact, we'll see later that we're designed for greatness. But Jesus wants to make sure they're pursuing it in the right way. And so there in your note sheet is this passage from Matthew 20. 
It says, Jesus called them together this time, and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. They, they're kind of the big, you know, they're in control, and they're in a power trip. And their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. <coughs> Instead, whoever wants to be great among you, now notice he doesn't scold them, hey, you should never, you not want to be great, shame on you, why are you thinking about being great? Doesn't do anything like that. He says, but whoever wants to be great, here's the way, you must be, uh, become the servant. See, service is the path to greatness. That's our law. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. And then he, he uses himself as a model. He says, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, he repeats this conversation many times. In fact, um, the night that he was arrested, Earlier in the evening during the Last Supper, we're told this same discussion came up again. Who is the greatest in this argument? And so this was kind of like a running d dialogue uh, with the disciples and, and amongst themselves. They never really liked to know Jesus. Uh, let, let him, they didn't like it when he knew they were talking about this. But there was a running thing, like who's gonna be best? Oh, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be first. No, I'm better than you. You couldn't be ruler. I'm better ruler. And so this sort of thing was going on throughout the ministry. So. Um, today what we want to do is we want to talk about service, the path of greatness. And there in your note sheet, there's, um, we're going to make three statements to help us get at this uh, principle that flow out of Jesus' teaching here that we just looked at in Matthew 20 and several other places. So I'm going to make three statements. The first statement goes like this. The first thing I want you to catch from this passage is that God has designed us for greatness. Now this is very important. And, and this may be new to you. And we often think, oh boy, we're supposed to be humble, and of course we are, but, that, but humility and greatness are not opposites of one another. They're not, you know, like we can't be great and humble. That's not what it is. And that's why I pointed out so clearly that when Jesus had these discussions, and he had them several times with his disciples, he never said to them, don't seek greatness. And this kind of makes sense if you're, if you're like a parent. If you have a parent, what do you want for your children? I mean, you want them to grow up and do great, don't you? I mean, does anyone go, hey, my goal for my kid is to be mediocre or a loser? One of the two. Hey, Johnny, just slow down, buddy. The way you're working, you're gonna be successful in life. We don't want that. Uh, come on, you know, we remember, shoot for mediocrity. That's our family goal. And uh, if you wanna be a loser, that's even better. Um, you know, no, as parents... As parents, we want our kids to succeed, don't we? we? We want them to do well in life. And God is our parent, and he wants us to do well. We are designed for greatness. The fact of the matter is, the Bible says that we are involved in a cosmic struggle between good and evil, and that we each have a role to play in this cosmic drama. And that if we play our part well, we will be honored and receive glory and honor for it. And that if we don't play our part well, that we will have a price to pay for that. Now you may not think of yourself as a great person. You may not get up in the morning and look at yourself in the mirror and say, now there's a great person. But you know what? God looks at you and you are designed for greatness. You may or may not be achieving it, but you're designed for greatness. Now, I think we need to spend some time in God's word because you might be kind of wondering, does it really say that? So let's, let's go there. We're gonna do a little Bible study. Hopefully you have tabs, you will definitely need them. Let's go to Psalm chapter eight. Here's what the Bible's gonna say. It's gonna say that we were designed to rule. We were designed to reign. Now, when sin came in the world and the human race fell, we became a fallen race, no longer reigning with glory and honor like we were intended to. And the whole reason Jesus came was to restore us to this place of glory and honor, to that we would one day reign again. So let's look at Psalm 8, starting the Old Testament. In Psalm 8, in verse 1, David says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And then he says in verse 3, when I go outside at night and I, I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, I look up and I see the moon and the stars at night. It's just so incredible that you've set in place. Have you ever done this? Have you ever gone outside at night? Maybe in the desert, it's like a great place to do this or maybe in the Sierras, and it's just, the sky is just so immense and so beautiful. Do you ever feel small? <laughs> do, do you ever feel like, 
do you even know I'm here, God? I, I think that, have you ever wondered in your life, if it's really true what the Bible says, that God knows my name, that he knows everything about me, knows the hairs of my head, is that really true? Sometimes it seems almost unbelievable, doesn't it? I mean, I know it's church, but can we be honest just for a second? It, it, doesn't it seem a little hard to believe sometimes? I mean, in this immense world, immense universe, now we know the universe upon universe upon universe that are out there, and that God would really know our names. I don't know if you've ever wondered about that, but that's what the psalmist, that's what David's going through. But then look what he says. He said so in verse four, so what is man in the midst of that immensity, what is man that you're mindful of him? I mean, we're like ants, you know, or we're like the, the cell in an ant or something like that. He says, what is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him, and yet here's the reality, verse five, you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. And catch this, you've crowned him with what? Glory and what? Honor. Do you see that? That when God designed the human race, he designed us for greatness. We are designed to have glory and honor. Now we've become a fallen race, but that is why Jesus comes back to restore that glory and honor. Look at verse six, you've made him ruler over the works of your hands. You've put everything under his feet. Let's go to the New Testament now, Romans chapter two. We'll start at verse six. <laughs> this is an amazing passage. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's pretty powerful. Verse six, Paul starts off by quoting an Old Testament verse as a principle. He says, God will give to each person according to what he has done. In other words, at the end of your life, at the end of time, that we will each be giving an account of our life. He will evaluate our life, how we did. Uh, did we use our gifts? Where we, did we follow him? And did we do the right things? And he'll evaluate our life. And every one of us will go through this process of evaluation. And then God will give us according to what we have done. We'll be either rewarded or held accountable for that. Now look what he says next, verse seven. To those who by persistence, now underline that word, persistence. We'll talk about that more later. But by persistence in doing good, they seek three things, catch this. They seek glory and honor and immortality. He says he will give eternal life. And that's, that's what's gonna happen. And he says, but for those who are self-seeking, so instead of seeking glory, honor, and immortality, they're self-seeking, and who reject the truth and follow evil, there'll be wrath and anger. The Apostle Paul says that every one of us is on one of two paths in life. We are either seeking um, glory and honor and immortality, which is what we were destined for, or we are headed on the path towards wrath and anger, destruction. You see, life is, if you want to compare life to a game, then, then I'd compare it to a high-stakes poker game. That, that we're not playing for small things here, we're not, we're not playing for pennies, we're not playing for you know, peanuts or M&Ms. We're playing for high stakes. Winners get glory and honor and immortality, what they were designed for. Losers get wrath and anger. This is a lot at stake in this game we call life. So Paul's very clear here. In case we miss it, he goes on and says it again. In verse nine, there'll be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. But verse 10, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. You see, we are designed for glory and honor and immortality. That is the calling on your life. That's how God designed you. Now, let's go to one more verse, to the back of our Bibles, to the book of Revelation, the last book, Revelation chapter five. Now in Revelation chapter five, we have the vision. John, the apostle, has this vision of heaven. Uh, God is on the throne, the lamb, Jesus, is next to the throne. All the angels are falling down and bowing, worshiping the, uh, the lamb and worshiping uh, the father on the throne. And so we've got this amazing scene and the angels break out into a song. Now here's a hot tip. When the angels are singing, it's worth turning up the radio. Okay, it's like they know what they're doing. They've heard it all. And I don't know if they're doing a rap beat or what they're doing, but it's really good. 
And so in verse 10, here's what they're singing. He says, you, meaning Jesus, Jesus, you have made them, them are your followers, that would be us here, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve, there's our, our word, to serve our God, and catch this, they will reign on the earth. So here's what I want you to catch. We were designed, Psalm 8 says that we were created to reign with glory and honor. In Romans, Paul says the reason Jesus came back was to restore us so we could receive glory and honor and immortality. At the end of the story, in Revelation 5, we're, we're seeing the end of the book where we're moving into forever, into eternity with us reigning. You see, that you were designed for greatness. Now it's interesting, one of my favorite authors is C.S. Lewis, and later on we'll talk about one of his children's books, uh, Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. But he, he preached a sermon one time called The Weight of Glory, and Lewis has such a way with words and so insightful. And there on your note sheet, I wanted you to have this quote. It's kind of long, but it's so worth it. He talks about this, this destiny. Are we on the road to immortality? Are we on the road to destruction? And he says, it's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that even the dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Or, or else a, a whore and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or other of these destinations. There are no ordinary people. You see that? There are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life as of a gnat. But it's with immortals with whom we joke with, we work with, we marry, we snub, we exploit. Immortal whores or everlasting splendors. See, that's Romans 2. Glory and honor and immortality or wrath and anger. You, there are no ordinary people. We are all destined for greatness or destined for destruction. We, we choose, we, we're designed. So, that's the first thing. I want you to catch that Jesus did not tell his disciples, do not talk about greatness. I don't want to talk about greatness here. We don't talk about greatness here. You shouldn't be talking about greatness. You should be talking about mediocrity. Didn't do that. He said, men, that's awesome you're talking about greatness. Let me tell you how to get there, okay? Number two. Well, Jesus didn't only tell them how to get there. Of course, he showed us how to get there. And that's number two, that Jesus marked the path to greatness, Now, that's kind of a strange term, mark the path, but let me, let me explain what I mean. Are there any backpackers or hikers in here? Okay, a few. Hey, they all came to this service. That's good. We only had three at the other, but um, yeah, we had big video game people in the other one. <laughs> um, when you go hiking or backpacking, those of you who've done this, you know this, often you will mark the trail. You often do it when you're, when you're uh, say, backpacking across terrain that's unmarked or when you come to a fork in the road and you have to go one or another. And often if you're gonna come back this way, it's hard to tell when you're coming back. Now, which way was it? It all looks different from the reverse angle. Um, or maybe you're hiking ahead of someone and you want them to follow you. And either way, you wanna let them know which way you took. And so you mark the path. And usually what you do is you, you get a bunch of rocks of different sizes and you pile them up. You put the biggest ones on the bottom then smaller and smaller and smaller. So it makes a sort of a tower type thing. And, and it kind of indicates you go this way, you go that way. So you mark the path for those who follow. Well, here's the point. Jesus didn't just tell us how to be great. He walked the path himself and then he marked it for us so we could follow, you see, and so what Jesus said to his disciples, and this is why I pointed this out when we went uh, over this, it's there in your note sheet, Matthew 20, again, repeat it. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, just as the Son of Man, that was Jesus' name for himself, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. So he says, if you wanna be great, then you have to follow me because I'm on the road to greatness and I'm gonna mark the path for you. I'm gonna show you how this is done. 
Now, it's important when we talk about greatness that right off the bat, we, we, we kind of spell something out, that when God or Jesus, when they talk about greatness, they're talking about greatness in the long run, okay? Very important to catch this. Now, you probably understand that, but this life, I like to call it the high school of eternity, okay? This life, we're gonna talk a lot about this in a couple weeks in the law number 10, the law of perspective. This life's all about the next life. But, but this life is, um, it's like the high school of eternity. It's just where it starts. And, and that's, just, that's just the way Jesus saw it. So when he's talking about greatness, he's talking about greatness in the long run. I, I don't know, for those of you who have gone through your first high school reunion, okay, so that means you, you've gone at least through your 10-year reunion. Okay, you know how this works. Is that you go back to your 10-year reunion, if you've done this, it's always amazing because some of the people that were kings and queens of the campus back then, you just look at them and you go, and I was intimidated by you? <laughs> you know, because, because they were just like, hey man, we're, we're, we're totally it. You know, we're, we're like, life revolves, we are totally cool. But all they've done is they've lived their senior year 11 years in a row now. <laughs> and and so, so they're still out at the Little League Park playing softball every night drinking beers, talking about the glory days, you know? And why? Because they, they thought that life was all about high school. High school is a preparation for the rest of your life. It's not the end of life, you see? In many ways, life begins after high school, right? In so many ways. And so they're years of preparation. Well, this life, according to Jesus, is the high school of eternity. So when he talks about greatness, he's looking at the long run. Now, if you want to get stuck in high school and you really think that greatness is about this life, well, that's great, but you're like the guy drinking a beer down at the ballpark playing softball every night. You just don't get it. You just don't get it. And we'll talk about that in a couple, couple weeks. But anyway, so when Jesus talks about greatness... He's talking about the long run. And what he says is follow the path that I'm gonna show you. I'm gonna mark out this path for you. I'm gonna walk it out, I'm gonna mark it. And I'm gonna show you that the path to greatness is the path to service. And I want you to see this, how he does this. Take your Bibles and go to Philippians chapter two. Great passage that makes a connection between greatness in Jesus' life and service in Jesus' life. Chapter two, verse five. <clears throat> he says, your attitude, your approach to life, if you will, should be the same as Christ Jesus. We should do life the way that he did it. Well, how did he do it? Well, he was in the very nature God. I mean, he lived in heaven. He, he was in charge of the whole universe. He was in the very nature God, and but he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He was willing to let it go. He was willing to leave heaven and come to earth. In verse seven, but he made himself nothing and taking the very nature of a, what word? Servant. Okay, so that's our topic today. He became a servant and being made in human, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death and then even death on a cross. So, what Paul is saying is, okay, Jesus starts up here, he's got it made, all the privileges, all the perks, all the power, and he gives it all up to be a servant, to become one of us. But as if that's not good enough, he's willing to even go to death for us, so he goes another rung lower, but if that's not good enough, he goes to death on the cross, which was the most humiliating death you could die in that culture. You know, only criminals and bums, you know, it's treason. You know, it's like Roman citizens couldn't be, uh, couldn't be crucified. It was against the law. It was too, too humiliating. He could be killed but not crucified. And so Jesus starts here. He goes to here, goes to here, goes to here, goes to here. And now look what Paul says in verse 9. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, top billing in the universe. Now I want you to catch that word, therefore. Why did God promote Jesus, so to speak, to the top place in the universe? Why? 
because Jesus gave up more than anyone else in the universe. You see, he gets to be exalted the most because he gave up the most. There's a connection between Jesus' place of honor and his place of service, you see? And that's what the therefore is uh, for. So verse nine, therefore God exalted him to the highest place. Why? Because he gave up so much. And it gave him the name that's above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth, every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord, top dog, head honcho, to the glory of God the Father. Why does Jesus get top billing? Because Jesus was the top servant. See? This is how God evaluates greatness. The path to greatness is who serves the most, who cares about others the most. That person will be honored and they will be lifted to the top place of leadership. And isn't that great? Who would you want to be a leader in your life? Don't you want the person with the greatest servant's heart? Don't you want to live in a universe like that? A universe where the top dog in the universe is the biggest servant of the universe? See, that's the kind of world that God designed. That's the kind of world we're moving into as we move into forever where those who have served the most will be elevated the most because who would you want to lead you? See? So that's the second point. Jesus marked the path to greatness. Now number three, third point is that the Spirit gifted us for greatness. So we've got the Father and the Son and the Spirit involved in this whole this whole process. It's the Father who designed us for greatness. It's the Son who marked the path to greatness. But it's the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who equips us or gifts us for greatness. Now let's talk about this. The Bible clearly teaches that when a man or woman gives their life to Jesus and says, I want to follow you, the Bible clearly teaches that, that at that moment, the Holy Spirit comes in their life to begin to change them from the inside out. And one of the changes the Spirit does is he gifts them to uniquely be able to serve in specific ways. Now, here's what I want you to catch. It's in your place of giftedness that you will make your mark for eternity. Okay? It's, it's in your place of giftedness that you're gonna make your, your greatest mark on this world. You know, a lot of you know that uh, last year I did this remodel on our kitchen, and uh, I'm not going into that, but, um, but the, you know, the best part about that whole process was I got to buy all these really cool tools. You know, the kind that you look at at Home Depot, but you can't really justify, normally, under normal circumstances. But because you're saving so much money by remodeling your own kitchen, I mean, you've gotta have the right tools. And so you get to buy nail guns, and um, you get to buy reciprocating saws, and hammer drills and just all these cool things. And you know, the, the coolest thing about having the right tools is what you can do with them. I mean, if you only have a hammer, like everything looks like a nail, right? <laughs> and, and, and you really, you can do a lot of work with a hammer. But if you know, like you wanna make a hole in the wall, a saw works a lot better than the hammer. And the cool thing about tools is once you have the right tools, you can be so gifted at, at getting things done. It just, it's amazing. You know, it's like, how do you do that? You get the right tool. Oh, now I get it. Well, here's the deal, that God has given us tools to serve. He's given us gifts to serve. And he's equipped us. And then he sets us loose and he says, now in my body in the church, I've gifted you to serve I've equipped you for greatness, and here's where it's gonna come. Your greatness is gonna come through your area of giftedness. Now, let's open the word. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This week in your life group homework, you'll be looking at Romans chapter 12, which teaches some similar principles. But we're gonna start with, uh, we're gonna look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where the Apostle Paul teaches on spiritual gifts. Chapter 12 and verse one, it says, now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. In other words, I don't want you to be in the dark. I don't want you to be um, unschooled or uneducated. I want you to understand how life works in the area of spiritual gifts. So verse four, he says, now there are different kinds of gifts, but notice they're all from the same spirit. 
There are different kinds of service. There's our word again. We're called the different kinds of service. We're not all called the same kind, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works in all of them and all men. Now, here's key verse. Now, to each one, now I'd say that pretty much takes in all of us here. Would you agree with me? Okay, pretty much, each one pretty much includes you. To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit or the gifting of the Spirit is given, notice, for the common good, okay? So each of you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been gifted for the common good here at Rocky Peak. Now you may say, Mike, I don't think I have any gifts. I'm just pretty ordinary. Uh, I, I don't think I have any gifts. Well, let me tell you something. You may not have discovered those gifts yet. You may not be aware of those gifts. But if you're a follower of Jesus, God has gifted you for the common good here at Rocky Peak. Here's the point. We need your gifts. I've talked to you about this before. God is calling us to a new level as a church. I'm convinced of this. I sense it. I sense he's calling us to accomplish some great things for him. But here's the point. We cannot accomplish that with only a few of us pulling the way. We need your gifts. We need all your gifts. The ship can't go with only like half the oars in the water, especially if it's all on one side, right? We go in circles. So Paul, that's what he's saying. He's saying that to each one of us, the manifestation of the spirit, the gifting, is given for the common good of the body. And so in verse eight, he gives some examples. I think they're kind of random examples. Uh, there's certainly more gifts than this, but he says to, um, to one there is given through the spirit the message of wisdom. Some people just are unique wisdom. Um, to, other, to another, the message of knowledge. You know, they just know things that you have no way of knowing uh, without supernatural uh, revelation. Um, verse nine, to another, faith. Some of you have an amazing ability to trust God for things the rest of us really have a hard time with. Uh, to, to another, gifts of healing by that one spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy, the ability to speak forth what God once said in a given situation. To another, distinguishing between spirits. Did you know in a body like this that there's some of us have the ability in this room to distinguish between what is of God and what is of Satan? Now, all believers have that to a certain ability, but to a certain level, but some of you are uniquely gifted. Hey, that person looks good, they sound good, they're saying the right things, but something's wrong there. So I can just sense that something's wrong there. You're distinguishing between what is of the Holy Spirit and what is from a satanic spirit, and, the, and you have that ability. Um, to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. These will be languages you never learned and to another interpretation of tongues. Now, catch this, all these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he gives them to each one, there's that each one again, just as he determines. So we don't choose which gifts we get. God determines which gifts we get, but we need them all. Then he goes on to a very fascinating analogy. He says, okay, let me explain it like this. He says, let's pretend like we're a human body here. We're here at Rocky Peak, we're a body. And he says, but some of you are like the nose. You know, and some of you are like the eyes, and some of you are like the arms, and some are like the legs, and some are like the lower intestines. Yeah. Now, I won't mention which ones. Which ones you? Okay. And here's what he says. He says, now, for this thing to work, it's like, well, we're like a body, and we need all the parts functioning. Have you ever had a part of your body go out of whack? I'm not asking for a show of hands here. I, I, I hurt my shoulder uh, a year ago Thanksgiving. I went out with a bunch of 20-year-olds and played tackle football on Thanksgiving Day. It was the most fun I'd had in a long time. I ended up playing quarterback and just aired the ball out the whole day. It was so fun. The, the next five days, I couldn't get out of bed. <laughs> it's a true story. I would roll over and fall on the floor and then push myself up on all fours. That's the only way I could get up for five days in a row. My wife's like, why did you do that? And it's like, oh no, it was worth it. It was worth it. It was like, you know, 
So I didn't even notice that my shoulder was sore because my whole body was sore. The, the rest of my body recovered, my shoulder didn't. And I developed a condition called frozen shoulder where, where your shoulder, the muscles are torn and they all adhere to one another and pretty soon you can't move your shoulder very much. And, uh, and then you have to have surgery on this thing and they, they go in and surgery and they take your shoulder and they make it do all the things it's supposed to do. And they break up all that scar tissue and then they clean it up and I, it was a pain being without my shoulder. You know, I couldn't raise my arm above certain heights. I'd go to lift boxes in the garage and I couldn't get them up where I needed to get them and you're trying to one hand it up, you know, and it's a pain being without a part of your body. It, it's a pain. Well, guess what? The body of Jesus is just like that. And you have a church here like Rocky Peak and you know, some of you are like the right shoulder of this church. And we go to do something that God's asked us to do and we can't get it done because we only have one arm that's working. We need your strength, we need your gifts, we need your wisdom, we need your resources. We need you pulling and you're not there. Your shoulder's hanging limp. We're walking around like this, like I was. Couldn't do sports, couldn't do activities, couldn't lift weights a certain way. I couldn't do, I was limited because my body wasn't cooperating. And the Apostle Paul comes and says that's exactly how a church is. That everyone has been given something to do. Everyone has been given unique abilities. And when you're not doing it, the whole body suffers. In fact, in the book of Ephesians, there in your note sheet, I put this on the note sheet. In the book of Ephesians, Paul puts it this way. In Ephesians chapter four, using the same analogy. He says, he has given each one of us, there, there's that term again, each one of us, a special gift according to the generosity of Christ. And under his direction, the whole body is fitted together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. You see, God wants to do something here at Rocky Peak. He wants this place to be a body that's healthy and growing and full of love. That's what he's called us to be. That's exactly what he wants. He's got a vision for this church. But guess what? It can only happen as each of us plays our part. As each of us receives the gifts the Spirit's given it and we make our mark there by serving one another. I mentioned earlier C.S. Lewis, you know, one of my uh, just heroes, just, just love the guy. His writings have impacted me so much. He wrote this children's series uh, called The Chronicles of Narnia. Probably most of you have heard of that. First one's The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's coming out in December, new movie, 150 million bucks Disney's putting this thing. It's gonna be the next Lord of the Rings. They're doing a great job. If you haven't seen the commercials, you can go online and see the trailers. Um, my, the last couple weeks ago, my whole family's there. We're all watching it. Play it again, play it again. And so we can't wait. But anyway, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, um, the story of these four kids, Edmund, Peter, Susan, and Lucy, uh, they're playing a game of hide-and-seek in an old ancient mansion in England. And uh, one of the youngest girl, Lucy, goes into this old ancient wardrobe. It's a magical wardrobe or closet. And she goes in, and she's looking through the back, hiding at the back so she's not found. And all of a sudden, she pops out into another alternate world, a parallel world. And it's, it's snow there, and it's pine trees, and, and it's the world of Narnia. And pretty soon, her brothers and sisters, they all come in with her. And they're there, and they find out that Narnia is under this curse, the curse of the white witch. And she's cursed the land, so it's always winter, but never Christmas. But there's a prophecy that one day Aslan, the great lion, the son of the emperor over the sea, he will return to Narnia. And when he comes, he will bare his teeth, and winter will meet its death. And as the children are there, as the adventure goes on, there begin to be rumors that Aslan sightings have been made, that Aslan's on the move, that he's coming back, and sure enough, the snow begins to melt, and they meet Father Christmas, and Father Christmas, Santa Claus comes because it's gonna be Christmas again, and he brings them gifts because there's a huge battle that's coming. It's a battle between the forces of Aslan and the forces of the White Witch. And so Father Christmas gives him each a gift. To Susan, he gives her a golden horn. It's a magical horn. He says, blow this horn only in time of the most dire need at the height of the battle and help will come to you. 
to Lucy, he gives her a crystal vial full of this liquid, a magic potion. And he says, anyone that you touch with this potion who's, who's injured in battle, it will heal them. To Peter, King Peter, he gave him the sword. And he said, this sword will lead you in battle and here's how to use your sword. Make sure you always wipe your sword clean after you use it. And so armed with these special gifts, these kids go into battle, and it's a huge battle, and yet they play a major role, young though they were, and they played the role because of their gifts. By themselves, they would have had no impact, but because of their gifts, the battle was won. Now what's Lewis saying? He's, he's saying that we are involved in this great cosmic struggle between good and evil, and God has equipped us with spiritual gifts and it's in the area of your giftedness that you will make your mark for eternity. See, that's the principle. The Spirit has gifted us. Now, where do we start? Well, you know, some of you are uh, in a room like this. Boy, we have all kinds of gifts. Let me just give you some examples. Some of you have speaking gifts. You're good at getting up and talking in front of people. You're good at leading a small group. You're great at sharing your faith with someone who doesn't yet know Jesus. You have speaking gifts. There's others of you here, you would die and go and be with Jesus before you do those things. <laughs> it's like, I'm just coming home, Jesus. I, I'm out of here. Others of you don't have speaking gifts, but you know what you have? You have compassion gifts. You have gifts of caring, of encouraging. You're great listeners. You have mercy gifts. You have gifts of healing. Others of us here, you have real practical gifts. You're not a speaker sort. You're not a student sort. You're not a, a caregiving sort. But what you are is you're gifted to get things done. You always gravitate towards this. You like, you like setting up chairs or making meals or driving people to the hospital or planning events. You have gifts of helps, practical things that we need desperately. Some of you have gifts of leadership. Some of you have gifts of followership. You see, there are different kinds of gifts. But we need you all. Now, where do we start? Three, three spheres of servanthood. You know, there's a message like this. I mean, there's a lot of things we could talk about. You know, like where do you start serving? There's so many opportunities. Where do you start? Well, I just want to identify three areas. Number one, the sphere number one is uh, the sphere of the commonplace. In other words, the, the most important place for us to serve is right where you are right now. You're married, okay? Serve your spouse. You live with roommates. Serve your roommates. You're a school teacher and you have first graders. Serve them well. You have kids. You have a, a job. You have a career. Serve your coworkers. You see, it's always glamorous to think of service in terms of going to some far distant shore and being the next Mother Teresa, you know? Oh, I know, I'll do something great for God. But you know, the reality is, most of our service isn't in the limelight. It's not great. It's just in the everyday commonplace. But God wants us to approach it with a new attitude. Instead of just going through life, we serve through life. So, uh, for example, there in your note sheet, uh, one of my favorite quotes from St. Francis de Sales. Uh, he wrote a great book that would never sell today called Introduction to the Devout Life. Have you ever noticed this, that all the old books, they have these most boring titles in all the world. These guys could have been so rich if they just got a little tighter. You know, like, like you know, seven ways to change your life or something like that, you know, but, but now it's like Introduction to the Devout Life. How many want that book? Oh yeah, I'll, I'll take 10 copies, you know. Um, but it's a great book. He says, uh, great occasions for serving God come seldom but little ones surround us daily. And our Lord himself has told us that he that is faithful in little is faithful in much. So if you do all in God's name, all you do will be well done. Whether you eat or drink or sleep or whether you amuse yourself or you turn the spit, that's talking about barbecue. As long, <laughs> brings up images, but. Um, so, so long as you do it all wisely, you'll become great in God's sight. You see, the path to greatness is the path to service. You're doing all because he, he would have you do it. Just do your life, the normal life, but do it with a new attitude, an attitude of service. Number two, the second sphere, and this is a big word, 
but it's worth it. It's just a lot of fun. Sometimes it's fun to do big words. Sphere number two is the serendipitous. Whoa, see? That's right. Y'all feeling smarter already. You know what serendipity is? Uh, serendipity is when coincidental type things happen for a good, good cause. And so something good happens in your life. It just really seems random. You say it's serendipitous. It's like, wow, serendipitous. Well, God brings opportunities for service in our life that are serendipitous, that are just amazing opportunities of chance service. Now, we're not always so excited about these when these come up because they're not in our daytimer, you know? They're not in our Palm Pilot. Not in our Blackberry. We didn't have this one planned for today. And so when these opportunities come up, they often cut across our plans. But we have to tune ourselves that our schedules don't belong to us. They belong to God and be ready for these opportunities when they come. A great example in the Bible is one we'll look at in detail next week. But it's the story of the Good Samaritan. This guy is just coming along, travel from Jericho to Jerusalem. He comes across this guy that's been beat up by gang left by the side of the road, and he takes care of him. A couple other guys had already passed him by. They missed the opportunity to serve, but this guy didn't, and Jesus makes him the hero of the story. We'll talk about it more next week. But God's gonna bring opportunities for you to serve, not like every day, but just from time to time, amazing opportunities for you to make a difference forever in someone's life, and you have to be ready for them. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of my heroes, you know, he was a pastor in Germany during World War II, one of the few Christian pastors who really stood up to Adolf Hitler and said enough, put his life on the line, and uh, he was actually executed by Hitler for his uh, efforts in the resistance. But Bonhoeffer said this in his book Life Together, you've got this too, he said we must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. God will be constantly crossing our paths and canceling our plans by sending us people with claims and petitions. We may pass them by, preoccupied with our more important tasks, as the priests pass by the man among, who'd fallen among the thieves, that's a good Samaritan, perhaps reading his Bible as he went, but we must not spare our hand where it can perform a service and that we do not assume that our schedule is our own to manage, but if we allow it to be arranged by God. Now there's a third area, a third sphere, and this is the one I really want to camp on today. It's a place of giftedness. And this is what we've talked about. We've all received a gift. You've, you've understood it now. I've laid it out in the scripture. If you're a follower of Jesus, you receive certain gifts. We need your gifts. And this is where I want to challenge you. Because I'll tell you something. Here at Rocky Peak, uh, we're going to a new level. I don't know if you sense it, but well, we're on our way. And God is, God is on the move. Aslan is on the move here, I'm telling you. And it's exciting. It's exciting to hear what's going to happen. It's exciting to hear what's in your life groups and what's happening in your relationships and in your own personal walks with God. It's just exciting. It's flat out exciting to hear what God's doing. We're on the move. We're going somewhere. But you know what? We cannot go where he wants to lead us without everyone on board, without everyone at an oar, all oars in the water. And as your pastor and your shepherd, I just want to, call you today to a new paradigm of lifestyle. I want you to understand that we need your gifts. Jesus needs your gifts. I need your gifts. This church needs your gifts. You know, in most churches in America, that 20% of the people do 80% of the ministry. That, that 20% of the people do 80% of the giving. That's the way it works. And then you look at the church of Jesus Christ and say, why aren't we taking over this world? Well, show me a business that's taken over the world that has 20% of the people engaged. You see, it can't happen. That we, don't, we need to turn that around. We need to turn this around. Now, some of you are knee-deep in ministry here. You're clear in your gifts. You're serving like crazy. So I just want to say thank you for that to you. But I'll tell you what. I'm sure there's many of us here, and I don't even been along enough to even know who's who yet, so I can say this really freely. But some of you are coasting. You know, so, some of you are, you've been coming to church here a while and just kind of come, throw a couple bucks in the plate, enjoy the thing, go home. I'm gonna tell you something, I wanna challenge you, I wanna tell you something that God has designed you for greatness. 
And then you're not gonna get there by coasting. You're gonna get there by persistence and doing good, seeking glory and honor and immortality. And I'm calling you out. I'm calling you out to the field, to get on the field, to get out of the stands, get, on the, get in the game. We need you, we need every one of you. As your pastor, I need every one of your gifts. Serving, loving, giving, sacrificing. And one day we'll be all there together and we'll say, aren't you glad we went for it? Aren't you glad we didn't sit on the sidelines? Because now that we've graduated from the high school of life, we get to enter into life strong forever together. And no, we made a difference. So I just wanna challenge you today with that. The apostle Peter, he said there on your note sheet, each one of us should use whatever gift he's, he's received to serve others. If, you're, if your gift is speaking, he should do it as speaking the very words of God. Do it your very best. If anyone serves, do it with the strength God provides. God has called us not only as individuals but as a church to greatness. But it is a path of service. And so I challenge you to respond to that call of greatness that God places in the heart of every human being and you'd serve well and join the team so we can go where he's calling us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these men and women here that you've called to Rocky Peak. You've called us to be family. You've called us to be a team. You've called us to be your body. Lord, serving. You know, serving by teaching children about you and serving about, by loving high schoolers for you. And serving by giving and using of our resources and our time. Serving by leading life groups and setting up chairs and cooking meals and driving cars and reaching out to people who've never heard about you and going across the world, and on and on and on, you've called us to invest our life in something that really matters, being part of something great, something that will last for eternity. You've called us to, by persistence in doing good, to seek glory and honor and immortality. What an amazing calling. Thank you for that calling in our lives. Would you release us, God, and make us so uncomfortable until the point where we say yes to you and we begin to run into that future together. We pray in your name, amen.